good afternoon. It is the fourth Friday of the month, and that means it's time for Literary Ashland. I'm Michael Neiman. And I'm Ed Battistella. And we have some announcements. We do. We've got some events coming up on January 28th at uh, 7 p.m. Oregon Shakespeare Festival actor Barrett O'Brien will launch his debut novel at Bloomsbury Books. The novel's called Greater Wild, and it's about the American family. And and, uh, Barrett O'Brien has appeared in Row, The Unfortunates, Head Over Heels, and Off the Rails. Mm Mm-hmm. On February 19th, 2017, at 7 p.m., also at Bloomsbury, Tony Platt discusses his book, Beyond These Walls, Rethinking Crime and Punishment in the United States. Platt is a Berkeley professor and recognized authority in the field of criminal justice, whose book challenges punishment and social control. All right. And on February 14th, that's Valentine's Day. Um, our friend Midge Raymond will be featured at the Hannon Library Lecture Series, talking about literary activism, how writers can change the world for animals and the planet. That's at 4 p.m. in the Mies Room at the Hannon Library at Southern Oregon University. Okay, and just a quick reminder that the Southern Oregon chapter of the Willamette Writers holds their monthly meeting uh, on the first Saturday of the month, September through June, not in December, at the Central Point City Hall in the Council Chambers. Morning presentations are from 10 a.m. to noon. Uh, if you want to network, please come at 9.30. And afternoon workshops are from 1.30 to 4.30. And you can always visit WillametWriters.org for more information of upcoming programs. It's a great way to spend a Saturday. Mm-hmm. Uh, and today, our very special guest is Steve Diefenbacher, an award-winning poet who's been living in the Rogue Valley since 1989. Welcome, Steve. Uh, thank you, Ed. So, um, Steve is a poet and travel writer whose uh, full-length book of poems, The Sky is a Bird of Sorrow, was published by Wordcraft of Oregon in 2012. Uh, the collection won a Forward Review's 2013 Bronze Award for Poetry, um, and his poem, Emptiness, was the winner of the 2010 Cloudbank Poetry Prize, sponsored by the Cloudbank magazine. Um, his work has appeared in numerous anthologies, including Dear Drink the Moon, um, published by Ooligan Press, uh, in the chapbooks The Universe of the Unsaid in 2009, Voices of the Siskiyou, At the Boundary, um, and his work has also been collected in uh, Homeland, Collected Writings from the Klamath Siskiyou, published in 2000. So quite a lot of, uh, quite a body of work. Um, so, um, well, tell us a little bit about how you got started in, in writing and poetry. Were you always a writer? Well, not really. Actually, I, uh, I think that my, my love of poetry came around in high school. I was a shy kid uh, to begin with, but I remember being shown a film as part of one of my high school classes about uh, Hamlet. And... What they did in that class is they showed several uh, versions of different actors doing the soliloquy, the to be or to not to be soliloquy, and I was mesmerized by the language uh, and the sounds. So that became a, a kind of a critical aspect of my poetry. But that's, that's my first remembrance of really being struck by the power of poetry. Mm-hmm. From from the theater, yeah. Um, and um, how did you 
sort of start writing poetry? When did that? Well, the irony is I, I, I started out as an English major, but then about three-quarters of my way through college, it dawned on me that I didn't think I could make a living as an English major, at least with that shy personality don't, I don't, had. Don't tell my students that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I would have liked to, but <laughs> uh, I, the idea of, of having to teach in front of a group of students was terrifying to me at that time. So... Ironically, I decided to go into journalism, and it actually made me put myself out there, too, because I had to interview people, but it was one-on-one, -on -one, and that I could do. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's essentially how I started uh, really writing on a daily basis, and it shifted into poetry when I became dissatisfied with the limits of journalism, of what I could use in, in terms of language and my journalistic writing. So that's when I started writing poetry, and it wasn't really until my 40s that I really pursued poetry seriously. Okay. Can you tell us just a little bit about what those limits were? What was it that dissatisfied you and made you turn to poetry? Well, uh, journalism is really kind of who, what, when, and where. Uh, it's the, basically the five... Uh, key questions that you were supposed mm -hmm. to ask uh, when I started in journalism. And the writing is very matter-of-fact, except in features, and I gravitated more and more to features mm -hmm. and became a little bit uh, adventurous in that, almost where I was pushing the boundaries of it. And I did have uh, uh, editors kind of starting to push me back and say, look, you're going too far into this descriptive writing. You really need to stick more with the nuts and bolts of things. And I couldn't do that anymore. My mind just didn't want to stay in that place. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I've heard that from other journalists as well, that it's it's a great way to to get a lot of writing done and get to, and get your writing chops, but there are certain things that you're just not able to do all the time. Well, that's exactly mm -hmm. true, Ed, because I... I have a great deal of gratitude for those years in journalism because I was forced to write every day, so I got very disciplined at it. Mm -hmm. And some days I wrote better than others, and I just had to accept that. A kind of the Stafford, William Stafford mantra of just doing it. You're just, uh, you have to be there every day, or I can't do it every day, I have to admit, but I try as much as I can. But you try to be there on, on a steady basis and keep trying. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but the effort has to be there. Yeah. I think that's very sage advice <laughs> to right. writers everywhere, of all kinds of writers as well. What does it mean to you to be a poet? That's a, that's a really interesting question. I... I think what uh, it means to me, I mean, I don't really, because I came from journalism, I don't really attach as much of a uh, persona to my poetry mm -hmm. as perhaps uh, some poets might. But to me, it's a way of exploring depths of things that I could not do in journalism. Mm -hmm. It's a way of actually connecting with other people and by writing about them in my poetry and also by connecting with the larger 
scheme of the universe. I mean, part of what has always fascinated me about writing poetry is I feel there's a language there that goes beyond the ordinary. And that language for me is intricately interconnected with the mysteries of the universe. Now, it sounds a bit mystical, but I'm not ashamed of saying that I'm a little bit, I have a bit of mysticism in me. And so it's a reaching for yeah. something beyond yourself. That's essentially okay. what it is for me. So it's a, there's a kind of journalism to this where you're interviewing the universe and finding out what's going on. and right, that, That's yeah, true. You're, ex, yeah. you're still exploring within a different, a different genre. Well, could you read something for us? A, a bit of a... Um, well, here's one that might be, give, give people a sense of the connection between that I see between the people and the larger scheme. I call it, it's called emptiness. We loved each other to fill the emptiness, conjugated the patterns of clouds, danced to the voices of children. At night we looked through windows at stars and imagined them hot with being. And this gave us some comfort when we held our babies close and sang to them. We tried to grasp this emptiness in both hands and mold it to our hearts. We saw it ripen with possibility, the full pulp of the peach, even as its outline was all we remembered. Year by year, we watched the fibers lengthen around echoes of a seedless core. And so the days rolled over us toward the blackest colors we'd known, the plants bursting with buds, turning to creases in a cobbled road. We lived in our uncertainty then, an earth relieved of bounds, the crystal black and white of winter, the small sound of the bell. Well, that's really great. There's, and I mean, I, I mean, there's a lot of really terrific um, imagery and sound and color there. And I, I, I've never, the phrase, the, the conjugation of the clouds, mm-hmm. um, for example, just really sort of sticks with me in the, um, the line about the peaches and the, the different colors and shapes. It's really a, a way of kind of describing the universe and the experience that is, goes beyond the, the sort of work a day. And, yeah. Yeah, I had that. I had a deep feeling of emptiness actually, <laughs> listening to it. No, yeah. no pun intended at all, but it was just there's a sadness uh, about I, that. Yes, you know. and mm-hmm. ironically or interestingly, uh, that poem was partly uh, generated by a quote from Pascal, mm. and it's one that always comes to mind to me. Is it's the silence of these infinite spaces frightens me. Mm-hmm. He was talking about the space yeah. between the stars. Mm-hmm. And yet I didn't want to end on a, on a completely yeah. hopeless note. So that's where the bell Because, we, yeah, we go, mm-hmm. and the, that was, uh, I, I realized later, mm-hmm. kind of a reference for, for the bell that some people in the Buddhist tradition yeah. have to mm-hmm. signify when it's time to end a meditation. It's yeah. also kind of a metaphor for humanity, right? Is that not what we're trying to do, like fill the emptiness all the time, sometimes incessantly? Right. So, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm, I'm sort of wondering, how did the poem arise? What was the the sort of um, 
We're taking a walk, meditating, thinking about uh, hearing bells, looking at the clouds. I mean, were there little bits and pieces of it that came to you a, a chunk at a time, or? Well, it's a combination of things. I'm a, I'm a real. I've, I'm very interested in cosmology and astronomy, mm-hmm. and read quite a bit on that topic. I think it was a combination of that and also the uh, idea of how do we relate to that seeming infinity above us Mm -hmm. and whether there's any meaning, we have any place in it. But also I had a friend then who was a Buddhist and so I became a little familiar with their idea and in Buddhist, uh, in the Buddhist tradition, emptiness is not necessarily a bad thing. It's also a place of possibility. So I think all of those things were sort of uh, jostling around in my mind. And I was surprised, actually, what came out uh, when I started that. I usually start with a line or two and just see where it goes. But I know that those were things I was thinking about at the time. In case you're just joining us, you are listening to KSKQ 89.5 FM in Ashland and 94.1 FM in Medward. This is Literary Ashland, and we're speaking with Steve Diefenbacher. And I think, well, I mean, now that the emptiness poem sort of makes me wonder how poetry has changed you as a person. Um, Is it... Do you feel, you, I, you said you really started writing poetry in your 40s, and um, how, did that, how did it affect you to be a poet? Well, I think it had a very positive effect on me because I, uh, one, of the, one of the things with journalism, particularly when I, I went from writing to working on the desk and seeing just a continuum of very horrific stories, uh, mm-hmm. going on out in the world outside. It skews your perspective to thinking that the world is essentially uh, built of evil more than of uh, the good things that people do. And I realized also the it gave me a larger perspective on my life, that I, I was just uh, really a small uh, being in a, in a huge uh, universe. And And the universe actually became more wondrous to me. It wasn't as scary because I thought there's so much to be learned there and to be uh, experienced in just imagining what's there and different ways of seeing it. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, that's great. How has being a poet affected your sense and your feeling of language? I think it's actually heightened it because mm-hmm. I love uh, the sound for its own sake. And often that one of the uh, jokes that some of my fellow writers have about me is I'll say, oh, I love the sounds. And uh, they'll say, or they'll, they'll sometimes look, uh, read my poetry and they'll say, well, the sounds are really good, but I don't quite know what <laughs> you're saying with them. But I'll say, well, the sounds themselves, if you really... Uh, open yourself to them can carry a lot of meaning beyond what the words are saying. And poetry at its best, I think, is a hybrid of sound and sense. Uh, it's, it's a, it, but the meanings, if you can even use that terminology with poetry, are something else than what we think of as meaning in ordinary conversation and the things we do. And it's okay that they're not able to be fully explained to me, I don't, I'm not uh, 
intimidated by ambiguity. Uh, in fact, I think that's one of the most interesting things about poetry is you, the poet often doesn't know what it is that's being said, but can sense that what's being said is somehow right when a poem feels right. Yeah, this this used to puzzle me, and then, I mean, just talking to you and other poets, I've I've sort of come to see that that poetry is a way of expanding language and, and sort of um, allowing it to to grow in new areas. And I'm still sort of puzzling over the conjugation of clouds, and that'll that'll stick with me for quite a while. Mm-hmm. I I guess one of the things that um, would also be be interesting to know is how how your poetry has changed over the years. Have you noticed um, different sorts of trends? Are you doing things now that that are different than what you did when you started writing poetry? Or I think what often happens as poets grow older is their poet beco- poetry becomes a little more uh, distilled. I guess I would say. Mm-hmm. But I, it's interesting. I was talking with a friend yesterday and. The first chapbook I had was actually a very simple language, and it was something that I thought I would be sticking with for quite a long time, but then it was just before 9-11, and 9-11 actually changed my whole idea of what I was going to do in poetry. And so I've gone through various phases. I started simply, then I went to a very complex and rich, lush language. I guess my Shakespearean enthusiasm came through for a while. Now I'm trying. I'm kind of coming back to a, a more of a distillation of things, but with greater experience and awareness of uh, things I want to write about. Okay. Uh, you already mentioned earlier that you know the trick about writing is to just show up uh, on a regular basis can you tell us a little bit more about your writing day normally actually one of the places uh, the the ways i do it is uh i just uh, go to a coffee shop in ashland at least two days a week and those days are my writing days mm-hmm. and uh, i often uh, so those are are set uh, pretty rigidly for me and they keep me on track. And then I do do most of my editing at home. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'll add an extra day. But I decided to start with a minimum of two because that was doable. And I've been very faithful about that. This year, I'm hoping to add at least one other day for the drafts. And then I'll do the editing at, at home. And then I do do pre- preparation of manuscripts and things at home. But for the actual original draft, I actually have to separate myself from all the responsibilities mm-hmm. of my home environment. And it has worked really well for me to do that. And I always have uh, ideas, lines that come to me in my notebooks to start with. So I rarely have difficulty coming up with how to start a poem or a poem to start with. It's just which one particularly uh, is the one that hits me on that day that I should work on. Yeah, that, that's a good way to do it. Eliminate those home distractions when you're writing. And the, that's it, exactly. And I, I actually sometimes go on uh, retreats, and I had uh, a few residencies at Playa and Summer Lake. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And it's amazing when you get away from all that, how much time you have to think and look and really take in what's around you. I mean, it's it's really in. There's no comparison with the ability to write here. I'm much more focused there. 
but of course you can only be away so long so yeah. but i really cherish those times yes i, I was there in october it's right. amazing oh yeah it's a yeah. great place yeah. it is and and you're right how i ended up being productive although that wasn't necessarily my goal but it just it was conducive to that Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and the other interesting thing about it is that uh, the first time I went there, I had a project I thought mm -hmm. I was going to work on. Well, that morphed. I did work on that project, but then, then that place had such an impact on me. Mm -hmm. I started a project that was uh, site-specific to Summer Lake, mm -hmm. uh, That, and I also did something I had never done before, uh, because I'm also a photographer, but I'm working on a manuscript that combines poems and photographs. Uh, so it completely opened my mind to other possibilities. Yeah. Well, that's great. And I think that that happened, something similar happened to you, too. You yeah, sort of it's, shifted a project around. And, and you, get, you get to hang out with other people who are also doing interesting things. And there's this cross-fertilization as well that happens. Oh, yeah, that is great. So yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's the, that's the Plier Summer summer Workshop for yeah, those of you so, who are yeah, uh, it's, uh, yeah, Plier, getting jealous. PliaSummerLake.org if you just want to look it up. They and have actually beautiful the, pictures. Their application period, I think, is, is still open right now. Yeah, so March 17th for the fall and summer and fall, I believe. They also have, and it goes through the winter, actually. Yeah. The only time they're not in session is in the late fall around Christmas time mm -hmm. in uh, the holiday season. Mm -hmm. yeah. What are you working on at the moment? Well, this is the interesting thing. Uh, now that we've talked about journalism, I'm actually, I have never really written uh, about my experience in, in journalism. And after all these years, I'm writing a series of poems about my 10 years in La Grande in, in a small town, it was small town journalism, and uh, just poems uh, about many of the interviews, uh, but they were completely focused on the, peop those, the people that I talked mm -hmm. to. And I think one of the reasons that I ended up going in that direction is because I've never, you need a certain amount of time to go back to a period in your life to really have perspective on it. But I realized how easy it was for people who might be, have different politics to talk civilly with one another. I mean, that's something that uh, I could go out, and they knew I was someone from the outside, and talk to people that were on farms, uh, that were working in the forest. And all you had to do was show a curiosity and an interest in what they thought, and people would open up to you. And it's something that I feel has been lost now. And it, I just felt very nostalgic about it, and I thought, I've got to honor this mm -hmm. because we had it, and I'd like to see us have it again. Yeah, and I think, you know, if you treat them fairly in the, in the press and everything, people will continue to talk to you and build those long-term relationships. So that was probably a, a really special period in your career. Yes, it was, and I, there was so much I didn't know. When I, I mean, I had never grown up on a farm, so I wanted to know about how they, how they operated. How do you uh, make a livelihood uh, working on, uh, on a farm? How, do you, how does uh, that connection with the earth, how does that convert into a, a livelihood? And so I found it fascinating. So I asked a lot of questions, and of course they they were glad because they knew somebody was interested at least uh, at that moment in time. Mm -hmm. So, 
Yeah, it's well, and you know, you, you were talking about the the playa experience before, and I know you do a lot of readings with other poets, um, going sort of circuits here and things at Bloomsbury and elsewhere, and I, I just wonder, what do poets talk about when they get together? Is there like well, we often talk about poetry, okay. which is no surprise. And it's interesting how, uh, even though we respect each other, we all, we all have different views of what poems we like mm. and what poets we like. But often the, the poems are just a starting point for more general com uh, conversations about uh, life in general. And sometimes we bring aspects of our own experience mm. into it. And it's not quite like a therapy session, but I glean a lot of uh, really good information from how differently people can look yeah. at the world and how valuable each of those perspectives is. It makes me think about it, and it widens my perspective on the world, I mm -hmm. feel, even if I don't exactly agree with it at that mm -hmm. moment. Mm -hmm. Would you read another one of your poems? Yeah, this is a short one, and maybe ties in more with my mystical side. Mm -hmm. A Silent World. Behind this one it breathes through flesh less tangible than air, rising from dying grass into shadow rivers and the silent tongues of clouds. At times it is an immensity of sand under lines of cormorants, at others, the blurred ground of a forest where steps dissolve into roots and snow lifts against stone. Desire will not bring it, only this letting go. Silhouetted trees reaching for spectral crows with hints of an appearance, a rustle through quiet fields in January hills where wild roses carry the scent of pears across waters unseen and unheard, the mute undertow of another earth. Well, that's a great compliment to the emptiness poem, mm -hmm. sort of strike, striking some, some similar chords and things. Mm -hmm. Well, we're, we're closing in on the last few minutes here, but I wanted to see if you had some advice for aspiring poets out there. I know there are a lot of folks um, right here in the Rogue Valley who are in coffee shops and listening and I'm working on their poetry. So, well, I always think of the the uh, the Joseph Campbell line of "Follow Your Bliss," and I guess I would expand that into uh, allow your own voice to emerge. And sometimes uh, it's very hard. I, I was heavily influenced by particular poets at the beginning, and I think it's important to t give yourself the time to find that voice. And when you find it no matter what style of, of poem or poetry that you're working in, uh, the voice will be yours. I mean, it will be distinctly yours. There'll be variation in it, but it's just because it's rippling out into a larger pond and becoming something more than what you started with. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. That's great advice. Uh, you are listening to KSKQ here in Ashland in Medford, and this was Literary Ashland. We were talking to Steve Diefenbacher, who is a poet, and we'll be back 
a month from now, more or less, on the fourth Friday in Mar in February. 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 Right, we're not there yet. In February, it's a short month, but not that short. Uh, and uh, with another edition of Literary Ashland. So thanks for tuning in, and thanks, Steve, for being here. Oh, thank you, Michael. And thank you, Ed. Thanks. Thank Until you. next month, read a poem. Indeed. Thank you.